0: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right, it's Wood Talk number 241 for May 8th, 2015. It's a weekend edition of Wood Talk, and today our single topic is something that was inspired by a question from somebody, but we thought we'd talk about a slightly different version of it that Shannon came up with, and I think it's a good one. It's, uh, what's the one thing that we're the worst at when it comes to woodworking and uh, do we just accept it or are we trying to get better at it? So I think it's a little Mm. bit of self-reflection here for the weekend show. (laughs) Oh (laughs) man,
2: self-reflection. Deep thoughts time, yeah. My head hurts.
1: I'll go first because for me it's it's a pretty obvious one for me and I think the thing I'm worst at when it comes to woodworking is design. So trying to design something that's at least attempting to be unique and I'm and I think a lot of people are like this. You're constantly influenced by everything you see. And there might be some people in the world who can take that, process it, and come out, like spit out something that's fairly unique that other people won't immediately go, Hey, that looks just like so and so's thing. <laughs> I'm too affected by the things that I read, the things I see. So the the more I like the more inquisitive I am about design and looking at other people's stuff, the more that stuff just gets locked away in my head. So I try to never make any claims about the originality of anything I make because I'm ultimately affected by everything that I've seen and, and people that I've learned from. So what I what I think I'm trying to get better at doing is incorporating just good, solid Design like guts into everything that I build, so even if it 's not the most unique thing, at least it 's well proportioned, and everything on it makes sense and there 's a rhyme or reason to why this part is the size that it is, as opposed to i don 't know I just picked a number, um, so I am trying to get better at it by just doing more work, you know building more things, designing more things, and I think over time you you just kind of naturally get a little bit better at it. So, yeah, it's definitely a weak point of mine personally, but the more I read, the more I practice, uh, the more time, you know, the more sawdust that gets under my fingernails. I find that I'm getting a little bit better at it. It's becoming a little bit easier to arrive at something that I feel happy with sooner in the process um, whereas in the beginning I think I would come up with like version one, sit on it for a week then have version two sit on it for another week and eventually come up with something that's passable. Now I feel like I, I could get at that point that I'm truly happy with it and won't. I won't look at it a year later and go what was I thinking? <laughs> right. You know, and I could do so- that for all my, all my early projects I could look at now and go whoa that was... Was way off. Why did I choose that dimension?
2: Yeah, no, no. I know exactly how that is. I am way too easily influenced. That's probably what my parents meant by that. You know, would you jump? It's
1: interesting because
0: I actually think you're pretty good at design, Mark. When I when I look at some of the stuff you've done,
1: yeah.
0: See, and I don't. I mean, how can anybody not be inspired by a bunch of other stuff, especially in, in the golden age of information that we live in now? Where you know if you want to build anything, it's on Pinterest or you know do a Google image search. Um, I say that because that's what I do. Um, (laughs) And you know how can you not be? But being able to take those things and kind of putting your own stamp on it, because I think you definitely have a style. Um, I can see a lot of David Marks in your style. Yeah, definitely. Why not? You know, I mean, of course, when you look at you look at your background. But I think you've done a good job of adding your own kind of flavor. To it,
1: yeah, um, you know, um, you know, John Funk, the guy that does the work for our website, um, right? He's a, okay. Well, when you look at John Funk, no, you're terrible. When you look at John <laughs> Funk,
2: what do you think? When you look
1: at John, uh, he actually has said a few things like that with my projects that it's got my style in it, and I actually haven't been able to even pinpoint from my own perspective what that is so if other people see it and there's something there that looks like oh that looks like something Mark would have made that's yeah. awesome but I, I would love to hear a description of what that actually is <laughs> because uh, I don't know um, but you're, you're right there may be things that I put in it that I, that I think look good and they seem to kind of a theme that keeps repeating itself in the things that I build but but ultimately I think we have to be our own worst critics in order to get better if I feel like I'm doing you know well enough at some point then I might stop learning um, but I always feel like I'm behind the curve. I don't have traditional uh, training in a lot of this stuff, so I'm always playing catch up. And yeah, I guess maybe I am my own worst critic. But um, I appreciate that. Thank you. But I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I disagree with your opinion. <laughs> right. I think exactly. I suck, <laughs> or
2: otherwise. <That's> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but that's it for me. Um, so uh, Shannon, you go. Cause I know Matt was struggling to come up with something for this. Well, I had a really good idea, but you just
0: said it. So oh, um, nice. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, I've, I thought about this a lot because uh, I think Mark said at the outset, this was kind of my idea to do the show because I've been thinking about this a lot lately and kind of my own teaching. And what am I, what am I really bad at? In other words, what am I avoiding covering on the Renaissance woodworker in the angel school? And, precision is something that I really struggle with. And Hmm. I think because I, you know, I fell, fell in love with the whole hand tool side of things and the historical aspects of it and how that work is done. that a lot of times the precision is just not necessary. And I, I preach this to my students all the time about, you know, don't worry about it being super dead flat or does it really need to be flat? You know, is it a joinery surface? Don't worry about it. You know, hit it with a scrub plane and move on. And that attitude, while I think is is it key to working by hand, because you can only expect so much precision and repeatability when you're doing everything by hand. Sure. But the downside of that is when you don't ever expect it of yourself, when you're forced to to work to a high level of precision. And the first realization of this was when I built my treadle lathe uh, two summers ago. And I added a lot of, of modern machined parts, ball bearings and things like that. And the incredible precision that I forced myself to work towards and to make everything line up was really a struggle for me. Not only did I not necessarily have the skills to do it, I just didn't care. And it was like, man, I don't like working this way. (laughs) Um, So, for instance, I have wanted to get an old miter jack for a long time. The um, kind of bench appliance that sits in an angle. It's a vice and everything. Well, Benchcrafted now has parts for a really, really cool miter jack based on an old French design. So I, I... you know, jumped early. I knew it was a limited run and I bought the hardware for it. And Jamil, as usual, uh, has an incredible video series on making this. And I watched that and I am so intimidated. <laughs> uh, the, the level of precision and the tight tolerances to which Jamil works. Now, Jamil is like a woodworker king. He's a god among men when it comes to his precision. When you look at his work with his uh, his lutherie and everything, he is just incredible, the work he does. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this and going, can I actually do this? Can I actually make this work? And previously when I have been, so the question is, what are you working to get better at it? Up until now, I've been like, you know what? I don't really need to because the hand tool style I do does not require that. You know, does that miter have to, or excuse me, does the the molding profile have to exactly match? Maybe not because I can blend it with a card scraper, you know? Um, and it, it still looks good. and looks crisp and sharp and all that. But this miter jack has forced me to relook at that idea and go, I need to improve this. And I think the miter jack is going to be how I improve that precision because there just is no way around it. Mm. Um, it's such... Uh, everything there's so many moving parts to this thing that have to work in order to work right, and then once it all goes together, it's gotta be dead flat and dead at 45 degrees and dead at 22 and a half degrees, or the whole thing is useless. Yeah. It, it serves no purpose whatsoever unless you are dead on those numbers. So it's um it's it's something that I never really thought about um because like I said, it just didn't matter. But it's it it has to help me later on, you know. Um, Being able to to fake your way through a lack of needed precision is something that I probably shouldn't foster among people that
1: I'm teaching and shouldn't foster in my own skill set. It's interesting, though, because it really does, at least in my mind, seem to come natural to the world of power tool woodworking because you're using stops all the time. You're cutting things square and setting up a stop, and then you could batch out as many of these things as you need. And as long as you hold it the same way each time and the pieces milled properly, you will get that level of precision um, that's good enough for moving parts that have to be particular sizes or whatnot. And also happens to be what may be overkill, but it also happens to work well in furniture uh, where you want things to fit precisely. So it's interesting. It seems to be more built in to the concept of power tool woodworking and the accessories and things that go with power tool woodworking just have that part of the, as part of the process. Well, you know, along oh, the of lines you. of
2: that, I, I always look at power tool, uh, the power tool world right now with, with woodworking and everything. And it really feels like it's more engineer, Uh, base than anything else like they are really the tools that are coming out now are are almost like an extension of of an engineer's mindset of how it has to be precision on this and dead on that and you should be able to tweak it to within you know such and such thousands of an inch kind of a thing but then when i look at somebody like roy underhill or even you shannon to some degree not saying that this is a bad thing but it's just like one of those yep there's a line i'm going to split it and oh look there i'm good (laughs) Well, and know, there's, and and, it, Matt, all- just the
0: fact that you put my name in the same sentence with Roy Underhill means that I will always be your friend. <laughs> it's, it's
2: pure coincidence, I <laughs> so promise you. Sweet. <laughs> there,
1: there's also the, what the person brings to it as well. For instance, when I when I first went to the William ing School and started to, I took a class with William, and also Daryl Peart is a lot like this. The guys yes, who walk around yes. with the calipers in their uh, shop apron. So when when um, let's say you measure something and you need it to be a couple thousandths thicker or thinner or whatever. Um, And William will take out the calipers, find out what the measurement is. It goes, oh, that that needs to be about, we gotta take about 2,000. Now he's at the table saw. And he's the kind of guy who will take out, you know, the feeler gauge and use that with a stop block or something to move the fence the two thousandths that it needs to move. And, and, and see now that's a whole different level because me I would, right. I would unlock the fence I go tap 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 lock it back down <laughs> like- and I'd probably be using a test piece as a way to get it accurate before I touch my good stuff but it, it, you know it, that's still using the power tools where this precision is built in but man can the individual whose mindset really affects all this stuff. Can they make a big difference in how precise you could be or what type of methodology you use? Right. Oh, and that's definitely not me. And, <laughs> and,
0: you know, I mean, heck you can go with the stereotype, you know, artist. I was a musician, you know, was a musician, am a musician, studied music in college. And, you know, while you can say there's a lot of, a lot of precision and a lot of mathematics when it comes to music, but it's still a highly creative form. And that's always been, Kind of where I've been. It's kind of one of the reasons I started to like wood turning so much because it's, you know, it's, it's like sculpting. It just kind of happens at, at high RPM and something comes of it. Now, precisely duplicating turnings, no, it's just <laughs> not something that that I, I want to try to do. Um, same reason with carving. Carving is so touchy feely, mm. and and feeling the grain with every stroke of the chisel and adding a little shadow line here and a nuance there. Um, but I do think that adding, at least the ability to work very precisely, can only be a good thing for me.
1: There might be times um, where you just need to pull that out of your pocket and, and yeah, get it done. Yeah, and you know I probably used to be a lot more precise, and
0: I, I I've tried to to write about this for a while. There is a real transformation that happens when you start working entirely by hand, and you don't even notice it going on a lot of the times. But it. How I build things is so night and day different from how I used to build things with power tools, and I don't even realize it anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I'm forcing myself to kind of think like an engineer, I start to go, man, <laughs> that's, that's that's not even precise at all. And when I get people asking me questions about this or that, and I can't answer with, it's, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is sharpening. Oh, it's sharpened to that bevel. like, I don't know. <laughs> I freehand the whole thing. It's sharpened it. It's sharp. That's all that matters. Right. So that's, uh, I don't know. I'm going to work on it and see if I can get this miter jack to come out perfectly using my methods and see what happens. Cool.
2: Sounds good. So there we go, Matt. Sufficient
0: stalling. You're up.
2: Oh, man, if I could just narrow it down to at least a dozen, that would make it so much easier. There's so many things. Actually, you know, the the one – and this has everything to do with the fact that I just wrapped up the whole tall dresser finishing process is, – is my finishing process. I have so many things that I, I need to improve or I could improve, and, 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 and it's not so much – originally – my finishing issue used to be the fact that I was too afraid to try a different finish. And I will admit that I still have phobias about it. I'm completely afraid that I'm going to f- just completely do it wrong every single time. And so it doesn't – I, I want to allow myself to to push just a little bit further and take myself out of the comfort zone. But whenever I'm doing a finish, I think my my biggest issue is that I look at it and I have – I don't have the ability to – Put on that first couple of coats and let the first couple of coats maybe be a little rough, you know, because you got to build up a coat. Depending on what it is, I will keep fussing with the finishes and mess, you know, and playing with them and trying to get it perfect from that very first coat to the point where I spend so much more time undoing what I thought I wasn't doing, and it, it it. Ruins it for me in the sense that not so much that the finish is ruined, but it ruins the whole experience. So what should have maybe been just a a day or two to get the the finish essentially going now turns into several days because the first couple of days it goes on. And then the second couple of days I spend undoing all that original stuff. So – that is like one of those things. I overthink the finishing process way, way, way too much and try to finesse it when it shouldn't be finessed, when it's kind of more the laying that, that first original coat and going from there and letting it, you know, like, again, kind of build up and everything. That's. God, I'm horrible at it. And every time I look at the project afterwards, I look at all those, like the brush marks that shouldn't have been there, but because I felt like I needed to finesse something, they're now there permanently.
1: (laughs) You know, I should introduce you to this uh, DVD that I made a few years ago called The Simple Varnish Finish.
2: Oh, trust me, I can mess that one up too.
1: (laughs) Like I have all but given up on brushes. Um, There's been a few times when I needed to apply a very thick finish to something, usually like an outdoor project that I'll go back to the brush because I want that deep, thick finish. But for most interior furniture, man, I don't even bother with the brush anymore. Like Mm -hmm. the, the brush strokes are stupid. And yeah. You know what, though?
0: What's really interesting in a recent experience, because the bed that I just made, I brushed on the finish, mm-hmm. and this goes a little bit back to what Matt was saying. It's such a podcaster problem. You know, you like that particular finish, Matt, and it's like, well, stick with it. Most of the people in the woodworking world find a finish and they stick with it forever. But because you're a podcaster, you feel like you have to try new things. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, it's the damn audience forcing me to try this shellac or this, this other type of varnish or this lacquer. But I... I wanted to try something different. I wanted to brush on the finish and the bed was, it's a lot of real estate to cover. So the brush would allow me to get it on. And that's one thing I discovered buying a really good quality brush changed my, uh, my outlook on brushing. Like I spent 50 bucks on a brush Mm -hmm. and oh my God, it's a totally night and day difference. It just flows out. There's no brush strokes. It's just beautiful. Now granted I'm using a higher quality finish too. I mean, EnduroVar is not cheap stuff, but, um, you know, I was using, I didn't never really paid attention to this, but the difference between natural, natural bristle and synthetic bristles when it comes to oil versus water. And when you should use one or the other, I was just using a, like one of those foam brushes. And then I was using like a Home Depot brush. And now I went to tools for working wood, bought a really nice Gramercy synthetic bristle brush. And it is amazing. It's like an extension of your hand. So there is something to be said about dropping a little bit of coin on good quality finishing stuff, um, it makes a huge difference. No doubt. Yeah, but what about I, drips?
2: Drips. Oh, oh my God. I don't don't you mean? hate the see. drips? <laughs> yes. But
0: that's just it is this really good quality bristle brush that soaks up. It doesn't even drip. Like you dip it in the cup and I pull it out and I was doing the thing where I like kind of dip it yeah, or like shake it a little it bit to drip it. Yeah. Nothing was coming off. I mean, it it just drips. Soaks it like up. Like
1: vertical surface drips. Yeah. Oh, well, that see. Okay.
0: I'll, I'll. Yeah. I'll plead the the, the <laughs> ignorance there because <laughs> this bed is a knockdown piece of furniture. Viva so it was la white on the bench. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and that was the, when we're working on now. I was doing just a milk paint on the on the the dresser just now, but that was one of the things was I was freaking out so much about the drip marks because they always tend to be like for me it's it's at the top and then they work their way down, and it's not until I'm way on the other side and I come around and go whoa whoa that come from? And that? then I start to chase it and then that's when I really do the damage. Yeah. Uh, but this time, yeah, so it's it was one of those, I'm at the point now where it's like I'll start a little ways away from it and then I'll come back in and I'm like, wow, that's really good. Oh, I must not have enough there. <laughs> so let, <laughs> let me touch it again. Let me go back again. Nice. Let me was try that, it one more time. Was that it or was there anything else for yours? Uh, no, that's, I think that is probably the number one. There's, the only other thing that I can think of is just the um, the the whole thing with like like expanding out of my comfort zone for more e- exotic woods for the lack of a description uh, but mm-hmm. that's now that's, a, that's, that's an ongoing thing that people have known about for years and been trying to get me help with.
1: <laughs> we'll save that one for another time. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys have stories about things in woodworking that you're not very good at, that you're trying to improve on, just leave a comment on uh, this particular show at woodtalkshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Or write us in and uh, give us a little bit of kickback about that. Uh, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we can
2: get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, or topic suggestion? You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623 242 5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's episode, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com.
1: Hey, yo. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll catch you next time.
2: See ya.
0: Bye.